G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about one of the central observances of Christian churches, one we do in obedience to Jesus when he took bread and wine at the Last Supper. He said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Now, it's an observance. For some, it's a tradition, or others, it's a sacrament that Christians do in obedience to Jesus. We call it communion, or we call it holy communion, or the Lord's Supper. It may be that communion is loaded with meaning that may be much more than just a symbolic ritual remembering the cross. It may be a controversial topic because some churches teach the practice of communion in different ways. Well, our special guest today is a West Indian-born pastor and author. His name is Finbar Desir. In Finbar's new book, he says, A better understanding of communion can deepen the connection of the believer, nurturing our relationship with God, understanding the full scope of Christ's sacrifice. Finbar Desir's new book is called Communion, Our Personal Calvary, A Fuller Life Through His Body and Blood. I might make a special welcome to Finbar Desir. Finbar, welcome to 2020. Thank you very much, in Jesus' name. Finbar, we're talking to you today from Canada, and you've just released your book, and you're writing about the profound significance of the communion that we celebrate in church, and sometimes with different practices in different denominations. Uh, No doubt you've been able to take a whole lot of different thoughts and uh, to bring those all together in the things you've written in your book. Yes, indeed. The book is uh, a product of revelation over a period of about five, seven years. Uh, One of the things, Louis, that I've been concerned about is to ensure that everything presented in the book is well grounded in Scripture. Finbar, you say communion is a gift that allows Christians to continually honor Christ's ultimate sacrifice. How do you understand this idea of communion being a gift to the church? It is really the way that the Lord established before he went to the cross to actually make his sacrifice on the cross personal to all of us. Through communion, we are actually brought Spiritually to Calvary to participate personally and directly in Jesus' sacrifice for us. 
Okay, so when we talk about communion as a gift, a recognition of Jesus' personal sacrifice, what does it look like for you as you're taking of those, we sometimes call them communion elements, the bread and the wine? Uh, What's the significance there and uh, what ought you be thinking or feeling as you're participating in a communion service? Uh, in establishing communion at the Last Supper, Jesus used bread and wine, as we know, to represent his body and his blood. When we take the body, we are actually focusing on Jesus' sufferings that he took in his body for us, and we know that the blood is for our salvation. Uh, One of the things that Jesus did at that Last Supper was to separate his his sacrifice on the cross into two. uh, His body and his blood represented by the bread and the wine. Before that, I mean, we consider Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as his sacrifice on the cross. But communion separates it into his body and his blood. There's that other deeper dimension too, uh, that the bread representative of Jesus' body that hung on the cross, but but also the body of Christ as it remains, that we're all one in a unity. Any any thoughts around some of those sort of external, uh, alternative, uh, different developments that you might come and bring around the idea of Christ's ultimate sacrifice? Actually, that aspect of the body of Christ really um, links into the meaning, the broader meaning of communion, because it brings us all together as one, you know, as one community. Uh, Communion, we're in um, cooperation with each other and with Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. We are the members. Communion is one, you know, you did mention that different churches celebrate it in different ways, but still, it is a universal, a universal practice established by Jesus himself that brings us all together from all cultures, all countries, in celebrating Jesus' sacrifice for us. You know, I don't want our conversation to move into one that conflicts uh, between denominations, but it has been a source of uh, quite significant uh, conflict over generations now, the idea of how you celebrate the communion. What I hear from you is that you're saying how you celebrate the communion may be less important than what happens in your understanding of the sacrifice of Christ when you participate in your communion service. Absolutely. What is vital is that link, that link with God. Because in fact, um, the way I see it is that communion brings us to the of the cross. It brings us to Calvary and it makes Christ's sacrifice personal for each one of us. It becomes a transaction, a personal transaction between each one of us 
and the Father through the body and blood of his Son. That, that is why communion, Jesus established communion in such a way that it would be universal. And that is why the point you made earlier is so important. What matters is not so much the differences between uh, how different denominations might celebrate it. What matters is the fact that every one of us, every one of us who is a Christian, has that link directly with the Father through His Son on the cross, and we all share that no matter where we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what church we belong to. We're always interested in clarity on what the Bible teaches around these sorts of things. And uh, as I reflect, uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, and uh, in preparing for our conversation today, I wanted to read this for the listeners, uh, just so we can get a direct uh, a narrative from the Bible, and this is from a New International Version, uh, but Luke writes, and of course this is at the Last Supper, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I wonder uh, if we're talking about Jesus' words there. Uh, around the time when they were celebrating the Passover, this was the last supper, but the disciples would not have understood the words of Jesus the way that they would just days later. Any thoughts here about how the disciples might have received those words of Jesus at the Last Supper, Finbar? Well, yes, indeed. Those words had, they had already, these words had already caused some problems uh, when Jesus first uh, referred to them in John chapter 6 when he told all the disciples and all his followers that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life uh, in you. And in fact, most of his disciples abandoned him then, leaving just the twelve. So the twelve disciples um, who were present at that Last Supper had already experienced some of the controversy um, about uh, understanding those words. And as you point out, it wasn't really until after Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit had come that the disciples um, got a deeper understanding, the true meaning of communion, where the bread that Jesus blessed and the wine that he blessed actually represented his body on the cross and the blood that he shed for us. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. You may have a question, a comment, and I will often say even a critique, uh, let's just say respectful critique, uh, depending on different uh, ways that we celebrate the Holy Communion that we're called to celebrate in the Gospels. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guest is Finbar Desir. His new book is called Communion, Our Personal Calvary, A Fuller Life Through His Body and Blood. 
Finbar, let me ask you, you said in our first segment that Jesus separated the two, the bread and the wine. I wonder if you've got any thoughts as to why he separated the two. Why wouldn't there just be one? Yeah, um, that is a very good question. And there are a number of benefits that come to us from the separation of the bread and the wine. Um, There are three ones I want to point out. The bread, we know that the wine represents the blood. The bread part, representing the body, the three things. Number one, it links the New Testament communion to the Old Testament Passover. The bread that was used at Passover is the same bread that Jesus used in communion, and this bread has special characteristics that actually foreshadowed Jesus' suffering and death. Secondly, um, the separation of the two helps to focus our attention on our sins against our neighbor as opposed to our sins against God. Jesus separated the two when he condensed um, all the commandments into two in Mark chapter 12, verses uh, 29 to 31. And we know the blood is the only thing through which our sins can be forgiven. Yet Jesus went through a lot of pain and suffering, and this pain and suffering is for our sins against each other, our sins against our neighbor. The third point is that this separation of the body and the blood allows us to access additional benefits of Jesus' sacrifice for us, such as the blessings of Abraham, and also being able to, to fight curses and covenants. And all of that is covered in the scripture in Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Wow. Okay. Taking us back into some depth there into the Old Testament and uh, fighting curses. Uh, interesting around the Abrahamic covenant there and uh, this extra empowerment. Now, that takes us way beyond the idea that taking the uh, bread and the wine as a communion service is just a memorial of Jesus on the cross. Uh, what you're saying here is that there is the promise of empowerment to overcome uh, when it comes to the blessings of God and uh, even those things that come against us. Any thoughts here on how you can deepen that or maybe open that up a little more? Okay, um, we're... We are quite aware that the main purpose of Jesus' coming to, to this earth was for him to suffer and die for us. Now, um, many Christians tend to go past, they tend to overlook the cross and go straight to the resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit, and these are vital to our salvation. But the cross is fundamental. The cross is fundamental to our salvation. And communion really focuses our attention on the cross. The bread for the sufferings, the physical, emotional, psychological sufferings of Jesus, 
and the blood for our sins. And when you look at it that way, you can see that really all of our salvation, now not just our salvation, our relationship with God comes to a focal point at the cross. And communion represents the cross. A powerful thought that when we come to church, it's not just all joyful celebration because whenever you have the communion service, you have this focus on the cross as being that point of sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice. This is a somber, this is a important and profound moment that isn't necessarily uh, all uh, bells and whistles and everybody's dancing around with joy. Is this something you think God intends, that as we partake of the communion, that it isn't all just celebration, but there is commemoration in that? Yeah, absolutely. There is commemoration. Uh, there, there is. We have to, again, give thought, give in-depth consideration to the sufferings of Jesus. But I, I want to really... Um, Make the point, though, that the celebration is still there, the joy is still there. One of the things that communion represents is um, the old tabernacle of Moses and the, the temple sacrifices that had to be done there every day. And some of those sacrifices were joyful sacrifices. Um, there, there was a sacrifice of worship, the burnt offerings of worship. There were the sacrifices of what's it now? The fellowship. The fellowship sacrifices. There were the peace sacrifices. There were five sacrifices done every day. Only two of them were sin sacrifices. The other three were celebratory sacrifices. And this celebration part of communion, this celebration part of Jesus on the cross is brought out to us in Ephesians 5 verse 2 where, where Paul tells us to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and offered himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling favor. So Jesus also offered himself to the Father on our behalf for joy and celebration. And in return, we offer our own selves in living sacrifice. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Is there a connection there to Christ on the cross and what we remember in communion? Definitely because Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, asking us to give our bodies as perfect sacrifices reminds us of the fact that Jesus gave everything for us. And again, in communion, separating the body and the blood, separating the bread and the wine, helps us to focus not just on the forgiveness of sin through the blood, but again, as, as I said earlier, of the suffering that Jesus took, and we can unite our own pains, our own sufferings, our own sacrifices with those of Jesus. Considering what Jesus went through for us, 
motivates us to be able to make the relatively minor sacrifices that we need to make for him. Well, our special guest today is a West Indian-born pastor and author. His name is Finbar Desir. In his new book, he says, a better understanding of communion can deepen the connection of the believer, nurturing our relationship with God, understanding the full scope of Christ's sacrifice. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Finbar, let's take a call from one of our listeners, Alan, who's called through from Fernie Grove in Queensland. Hello, Alan. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. Just uh, one of my comment in re- regard to Finbar. It's in regard to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, in regard to um, taking communion in a worthy manner. Good stuff. Uh, Finbar, this is one of those important uh, passages in Scripture about how we partake of communion and the suggestion that there's an unworthy manner. What are your thoughts here uh, for Alan? Yes, uh, thank you very much for the question, Alan. This particular Scripture is definitely one that, that has caused some controversy. The Scripture itself is quite correct, but our understanding of it varies. Uh, because some people tend to take scriptures uh, in isolation. The, the verse that uh, we're referring to here, First uh, Corinthians 11, uh, is verse uh, 27, which says, uh, let me just find it here, it says, um, wherefore, I'm reading King James, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And so many Christians interpret this to mean that we've got to be sure we do not have sin before we receive communion. I do not agree, because the thing is, the only way that our sin can be forgiven is through the blood of Christ. In communion, Jesus is presenting his blood to us. The blood, the wine represents the blood that he shed on the cross for us. So since it is his blood that cleanses us of sin, it doesn't sound very sensible for us to be free of sin before seeking the blood, because it is the blood that cleanses us. As I say in the book, it is as though you're going to the shower to bathe, but you wash yourself first. That does not make much sense, because it is the shower that's going to cleanse you. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. The reason why Paul has that scripture in there was because he was speaking to the Corinthians. If you look at the introductory verses um, uh, here uh, for that particular section, he's saying um, um, from verse 18 that when the, the, the Corinthians would come together, they would come together to communion as a party. I'll just read verse 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before uh, the other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. So they would have a 
party with the bread and the wine of communion. Some would be full, others would be drunk, and by the time the other the other people in the party arrived, there would be nothing to eat or drink. And so he's telling them, communion is not party. It is not a drinking party. So you should eat at home first. That's what he's telling them. You look at the verses below that and towards the end. He says in verse 33, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry for, wait for one another. If any man is hungry, let him eat at home and don't come to communion looking to fill yourself. So that's what he was addressing when he told them that the way they're doing it, they're doing it unworthily because they're not discerning the body of Jesus. For us, we don't need to be free of sin for us to receive communion, but we need to be repentant because we cannot fool God. It is Jesus's death on the cross. It is Jesus' blood that forgives us. Communion represents the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. So, so the only way we would be doing it unworthily is if we're not discerning, if we're not acknowledging that this is indeed the body and blood of Christ. Alan in Fernie Grove, thank you for a wonderfully insightful question around that passage there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Before we let this go, the idea that some might sit in church on a Sunday and the communion is being passed around and some will feel as though they should let the communion go by and not partake because they know they've got a few issues to work out. Is there, in fact, some denial of God's wonderful grace if we then say that I'm not good enough to have the communion? Any thoughts here, Finbar? Yes, uh, that is exactly the issue. So there is a denial of grace, and the reason why we have that is because... um, that's the way we've been taught. And I would say, uh, trying to avoid controversy is certainly different between churches. I would say that that is one thing that is common to, to practically all the churches, in that they all say that if you're not in a state of grace, if you're not good, then you should not receive communion. That is fairly constant, fairly common. And I believe it is because we miss understand the context uh, in which Paul made, uh, uh, made, made this reservation here. And so, yes, we are denying ourselves a lot of grace that we should be getting because of the view that we have of communion as something set apart and set aside that is not for us. It is for us. And just as Jesus' death on the cross is for us, communion is is for us. We are taking calls 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, a comment, even a critique. Let's take another call. Heather is in Harvey Bay in Queensland. Hello, Heather. Welcome. 
Good morning, good morning, gentlemen. Um, just in relation to what your beautiful, lovely guest is saying, um, I absolutely agree with him. But from um, a personal experience, um, for me, I'm only reasonably new, re- newly recommitted Christian, if you can put it that way. Yeah. But from my understanding of communion, um, became a very deep and personal thing. And But I still, at some point, I couldn't get my head around Jesus being the Lamb of God, if you know what I mean, and just let me go back a little bit. But when I got it, when I read about Abraham and Isaac and the willingness to sacrifice the son, his son, then I absolutely got God and Jesus and the cross and the whole thing. And it was just so incredibly deeply personal for me that that I absolutely got that whole sacrifice thing. And um, and I absolutely love communion. And I I cry if just quietly to myself because I realise and understand or understood the weight of what what was going on. And, um, Heather, you know, I've got I, a tear in my eye as I reflect on uh, your saying those things too. You've got uh, Abraham and Isaac, and uh, Abraham is in obedience to God going to sacrifice his own son. But God provides a ram caught in the thicket, and it's the substitute for his son. Uh, for Finbar, for Heather, what are your thoughts for Heather? Oh, I, I thank Heather so very much for this comment. Uh, it's exactly uh, the way I feel. I would just like to add to that. Uh, uh, this picture of Abraham being ready to sacrifice his son to God and God providing that ram, that was played over on Calvary where it was Jesus now being the Son of God, being the one sacrificed for us. And one one thing I would like to point out is that, you know, growing up I always felt so much this pain and this sorrow over Jesus suffering so intensely. But so did the Father. Because the Father had to be separated from his son because his son was carrying the sin of the world. That is what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane. That is why Jesus sweat blood. It's not because he was afraid of the pain of the crucifixion. It's because he had to be separated from his father. That was what he was crying against, asking his father to take this cup away from him. He, he was ready, he was prepared to take the pain and the suffering, but the separation from his father, you see, at the end, from this time that he, had, that he accepted uh, to, 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 to go through with it in the Garden of Gethsemane, to the time that he died on the cross, throughout that time he had to be separated from his father. That is why it was the end, just before he died at about 3 p.m. on Good Friday, he cried, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Wonderful thoughts, Heather. 
Thank you so much for joining in our conversation today. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. It's a very passionate conversation when you start to look into these dimensions of what we do when we partake in a communion service. Let's take another call. Finbar, this is Sterling in Ararat in Victoria. Hello, Sterling. Welcome along. Thank you, Neil. Uh, greetings from a very shaky Ararat. <laughs> I'm glad you're able to call. Yes. Um, look, what I wanted to point out is is just how how much Jesus did for us on that cross and how those emblems resemble, you know, his, his sacrifice. But I also reflect upon, as a father myself, our Father in Heaven had to sit by idly and not you know, interrupting what was happening to his son, and that would have taken so much strength. I know as a father, if that was my son, I'd be straight there, pardon me, straight down there to to put a stop to it. But in his wisdom, God knew this had to happen, and and it would have taken so much strength and power and love for us on his side to allow it to keep going right to its end. Wonderful stuff, Sterling. And Finbar, your thoughts for Sterling? Sterling, thank you so very much for this. You know, this is what I was just speaking about, and and and, and Neil, you were mentioning about the personal aspect of communion, the personal aspect, this connection that we make with the Lord uh, at communion, and generally we think of this as as the personal connection with Jesus. But as Sterling is also pointing out, it's a personal connection with the Father. Jesus is not the only one who suffered, so did the Father. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened on the cross, and what we celebrate in communion is that the Trinity separated itself. The Father and the and separated the father carrying the pain of seeing his son die, the son having to to bear that cup, take that cup, go through that suffering of being separated from his father because he was carrying our sins. God the Father went through what Sterling just described there for your sake and for my sake. That is what we celebrate in communion. That is one of the things that makes communion so very special. It is not just something that we have to go through in church. It is very, very deep. Sterling, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Finbar, let me bring you to some of the benefits that flow to the believer when we are having a right heart towards the communion. And as you say, our focus is on Christ, on his sacrifice. But you talk about it as a time of personal transaction. There's something happening two ways here. And the idea of strength and renewal, even healing and deliverance that can come in a transaction time in the communion service. I wonder if you can take us into some of those dimensions. Yes, thank you very much. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says in King James, Christ has redeemed us from the curse 
of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessings of Abraham could come unto the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now we have received the promise of the Spirit. But see again, through Jesus hanging on that cross, he redeems us from every curse. Of course, we, they mentioned that the curse of the law. But since Jesus can redeem us from the curse of the law, he can redeem us from any and every curse. And I use that scripture to pray against curses uh, in, 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 in delivering people from curses. And I use that scripture. That is what we receive the blessings of Abraham. We're not Jews, we're not Israelites, but we receive the blessings of Abraham through Christ hanging on the cross. Galatians 3. Let's just let's pause here for a moment and make this very practical for those who are listening and saying uh, this is sounding very spiritual here now. But if Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law and there is then this power of God to redeem us not only from the curse in a spiritual way, but some of those curses actually work in our bodies. Uh, sometimes it's through illness. Uh, others might have experienced that sort of oppression that comes from even demonic understandings of things that affect us. The idea of rolling back those curses in a time when you're having a personal transaction of communion, is this a possibility? Uh, what are your thoughts here, Finbar, about the practical ways that you could uh, appropriate this wonderful power of God? The book actually mentions examples. I have examples of this where it has actually happened. And not only curses, but also you mentioned healing. And the healing is based on Isaiah 53 verse 5, which tells us, uh, referring to Jesus, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I personally have received healing through communion. I have prayed with people who are over communion, and I've got examples of this in the book where we actually have had healing. Some have been instant, some have been over a longer period of time, and it's not only me. You can read other books by people like Joseph Prince and so on. There are lots of examples of physical, medical healing through communion. Finbar, time is short. Let me just share with you, we're talking to you today from Canada, but here in Australia we've got some significant portions of our nation, uh, New South Wales and in Victoria, under some fairly strict lockdowns right now and not able to gather together for church to participate in a gathering for communion. Is it quite appropriate to have communion at home with your own family or with friends that you're allowed to get together with? What are your thoughts about who you need to have there to be able to have this wonderful time of communion and remembering these things? I go into this in detail in the book. I do not, reading scripture, looking at scripture, I do not believe at all 
that Christ's intended communion to be only in churches. Of course, we have to do it in churches, no question about that. But we're also empowered as Christians to do it at home, to do it by ourselves. Um, so, so there is the, the, the corporate aspect of it in church and the personal aspect of it at home. Jesus um, modeled communion on Passover, and Passover was a family celebration. True enough, um, after the temple was built, all the lambs had to be killed at the temple. But after that, the people would bring the, the slain lamb to their homes, and they would eat. They would have uh, communion. Uh, well, not communion. They would have a Passover meal as a family event. And we should be able, and we are authorized to have communion at home as a family event, or to have it by ourselves. But when, of course, it is in the church, then communion has to be according to the rules of the particular church. Well, wonderful insights today as we've been talking about communion. And uh, I want to thank our very, very special guest. And uh, I think a conversation perhaps uh, far better than even any of us could have imagined. Wonderful insights today, Finbar Desir. Now, Finbar's new book is called Communion, Our Personal Calvary, A Fuller Life Through His Body and Blood. Uh, let me just say, you can get Finbar's new book uh, simply going to online booksellers. It'll be available at on- online booksellers. So simply Google Finbar Desir. Now, that's spelled F-I-N-B-A-R. Desir is D-E-S-I-R. The book is called Communion, Our Personal Calvary and a fuller life through his body and blood. Finbar, just wonderful getting your insights. I want to say thank you so much for sharing those with listeners here in Australia on today's 2020. Thank you very much indeed for having me and all glory to God. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.